Hey Shelby Christian, my name is Jordan and here's what's happening on the Hill. We are all too familiar with February being the month of love and you are in luck because we have two great opportunities to show your love to those that mean the most to you. Starting on Friday, February 10th, we have our annual Daddy-Daughter Dance. Saturday the 11th, we have our Valentine's Dinner. If you haven't signed up yet, you won't want to wait. You can do it today at our sign-up wall or on our website, shelbychristian.org. There's a lot happening right now in our student ministry. Our student pastor, Ray Brewer, has more to say. Take it away, Ray. Oh, uh, hey, Jordan. I thought we did this last week. Anyways, that doesn't matter. Welcome back to The Stew. We've got some more announcements for you. You already heard from Jordan about daddy-daughter, but I just want to add one thing. Remember that all proceeds go towards our mission trip to Guatemala. It's going to be amazing. But right after that is the Stooper Bowl. It's going to be this amazing experience. We're going to have games. We're going to have music. We're going to have the Super Bowl. We're going to have food. It's going to be so stinking fun. Make sure that you let all of your students know, every kid that you know from middle school all the way through high school let them know that it's going to be a great awesome party we just want to get them in the church let them have some fun we also have camps coming up we are going to have signups real 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 soon so make sure that you're talking to your students about it but don't you forget about remind because if you didn't hear any of what i just said i'm going to send it all out on the remind app so here is the remind thing did you get it did you write, did you did you text it? Did you text the num? Just text the number. I'm gonna give you a minute. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Back to you, Jordan. We are seeing so many new faces every week, and our church is growing in every area. Maybe you're asking, what's next? How can I get connected with others, or how can I get involved? Well, we have something called Pathways. It's for you, and one is scheduled for February 21st. If you're interested, see our website. If you're a first-time guest here at Shelby Christian, we are so happy you chose to join and worship with us today. Please come to the big orange wall in the lobby that says, I'm new. We even have a gift for you. Say so, sing of his promises evermore, pour out your thankfulness and let it overflow, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's say so. Let me out of the desert, brought me into his streams, living of living water, turn my bitter into sweet on my birthday. You took the shackles off my feet, there's no sound louder than a captive set free, so Promises and the more. Oh, 
this for a while now his family's all right down here to celebrate uh Waylon's a freshman in high school at Collins and he just says today's the day I gotta do this and I gotta make it right with Jesus and so I'm excited about that anytime a young man makes this decision uh just take a step forward in faith so Waylon I just want to ask you to repeat after me okay? okay I believe I believe that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God the son of the living God and I accept him Accepting. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. All right. All right, well, because of that confession of faith, it gives me great joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what it's all about right there. You guys can be seated. 
Hi, my name is Dennis Dove. I'm the executive minister uh, here at Shelby Christian. I want to welcome you guys to service uh, today. Uh, as a reminder, after I pray, we have communion stations set up uh, around uh, the room. You can go get that. It's double cups of the bread and the juice are, are both right there. And the offering boxes are next to that if you want to continue in worship that way. So it's February, which is the, uh, you know, the month of love, right? And made up holidays, right? So, you know, you won't see this guy bowing down to big candy or big flower, you know, this year. But... Uh, but that's what it is. And it's usually uh, when our youth group also has their relationship series, right? You know about love in, in February. And I got a chance to, uh, to sneak over there last week uh, with Ray and the youth uh, and his new, uh, the new series called Purple about relationships. As a side note, if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, um, you need to get him over there. Ray's doing some amazing things. There's worship. There's... Uh, his teaching, obviously, small groups, games, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so get them over there. He can even challenge Ray to ping pong. It'll be an easy victory for your kid, right? But, but anyway, I was there for, for this, and he talked about, the first week was about uh, God's love for us and his relationship with us. And he talked about God's love being patient and kind and keeping no record of wrongs and, and so on and so forth with that verse, which is, which is all true. But I also know that there's times in our lives that we don't feel that love. I don't know where you are right now today or where you've been or, or where you will be, but there's times that we just don't feel God's love. When Ephesians 3, Paul writes, not to be discouraged because of sufferings, right? That, that Christ can dwell in our heart and based, you know, rooted and established in that love that we should be able to grasp, we could have the power to grasp how long and how wide and how high and how deep God's love for us is. And that that love is beyond our normal comprehension. And as we come to this time, and I think about all the junk that I've done, the fact that God loves me so much that he sent Jesus down to die on the cross for me, even though I don't deserve it, is beyond my understanding, but he did. So as we pray today, just remember, God loves you so, so much. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to, to worship you today. We hope that was pleasing to you, Lord. And I thank you for your love. It's, I don't know why. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. But you love us, Lord. Thank you for sending Christ down to die on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
we stand and sing and worship, let us surrender. He asks what this song is talking about. I just want to surrender all to Him. Every battle, every victory, we surrender.
Some of you are in a battle right now. Some of you have already fought the battle. And you're on the other side. And you're victorious. Wherever you are today, though, he's still moving. You're praying for it. Believing for it. He's faithful. Amen. Let's sing together. Give you glory. I give you glory for all you've brought me through. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. And I'm moving forward.
thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place. God, you're moving and you're not giving up on us, Lord. You're not giving up. We love you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 You guys, uh, some of you guys were singing that song, that last song, like you have really experienced a breakthrough in your life. Right? And here's what I know too. I know that there are some people here today that are, you're kind of just holding on for that breakthrough. Like you're waiting for it, right? You're praying for it. Like you're in the middle of something and it's just not fun. It's not a pleasurable experience that you're going through. And you're just like, God, I'm, I'm praying for this breakthrough. I want you to know that we're praying for you as well because I believe every time we gather together as the church, and we sing songs like this, and we get to worship, we are, we are giving a testimony, right? We are, we are proclaiming that God is, is doing these things in our lives. And so I'm hoping that, that you guys can continue to tell those stories uh, about how God's just doing incredible things uh, in your family and in your relationships. Hey, we are in, thanks for being here. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, we are in week five of this series called Up to Us. And what we're doing is we're walking through um, some letters, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get there. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. We're going to read the first six verses. But what happens is Jesus wrote these letters to seven different churches. And he says, hey, John, I want you to write this down. He gives John this revelation. He comes to him in a dream. John's on this island called Patmos. He's, kind of, he's in prison there. He's been exiled there. Uh, Jesus visits him there and says, hey, I got a message for the church. I got a message for these specific churches, and I want you to write this down. I want to make sure we got to get this out to these churches. And so these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 are very specific to a very specific group of people dealing with a very specific group of issues, right? And so you'll see that as the one we read today. There's a lot, there's, the, there's context wrapped around everybody. If you write a letter to someone, right, it's this personal thing. And, and there's just things that are assumed. There are things that know, are known. You're writing this letter because there's a relationship. Jesus is writing this letter to these churches, and he has something he wants to share with them. And so you would say, well, well what's that? Who cares, right? Uh, maybe. Uh, here's, here's the interesting thing. When you read these... I think there is so much in there that we can draw from as the church, Shelby Christian Church, today. And so what we said is, let's walk through this and see what we can learn, what we can maybe uh, glean from it, what can we, we maybe um, be you know, excited about, what can maybe convict us. And I think today is one of those days where hopefully your heart is going to be convicted on a few different things. All right, so here's the first thing we need to do. We need to understand that um, the city that, that Jesus is writing this letter to. This is the church at Sardis. There's a map here, and we'll, you'll kind of see uh, the different. So, uh, modern day Turkey is where. Is that me? Uh, modern day Turkey. <laughs> what do I need to do? Hmm. Connection. Seven churches 
in modern-day Turkey. Sardis is the one we're going to focus on today. And here's what's in it. We're kind of working our way. We'll have two more left after today. Um, Here's what's interesting about the city of Sardis. Sardis was a beautiful city. It was a wealthy city. It was a city that was on top of this mountain, 1,500 feet above the valley floor. uh, floor. The Hermes River flowed below, and they built this city on top of this mountain. And what they did was, it was was fortified on all sides by by cliffs, by steep cliffs, 1,500 feet up, right? And so their thinking was, let's put our city on top of this mountain, and we'll be, well, we'll be, we'll be impenetrable, right? We'll be untouchable. And pretty much, they were. You'll see here, um, this is a picture of like so the, the, some of the ruins that are still there today and you'll see like this is like a little entrance here like there was one way into this city right and so it was easy to fortify it was easy to guard because there's only one way in there's only one way out there's cliffs all around right and so we're up here on top and Sardis was this place that became um, they became complacent in who they were because of their situation because of their circumstances. It it was a city, like I said, it had a lot of jewelry, a lot of gold. There was a a river that ran through, a spring that ran through the middle of the city. It was called the God of the Underworld. That's what they called the spring, freshwater spring. It was very valuable to them. And so they were situated on a perfect spot, right, in this city. They also were a place, it was also a place of, of just incredible pagan worship. They worship the, the goddess Artemis. If you've studied any kind of Greek mythology in school, you might remember that. I think she was, like, was, was called the, the, the daughter of Zeus or something like that. And so it's like, this was what they were about. Artemis was the goddess of nature and of fertility. And so that's what they worshipped. There were festivals held every year. In Sardis, this festival was to um, celebrate Artemis and fertility. And if, if you read about a lot of the things that happened at this festival, um, I can't even describe to you today because I would blush. It's that like it, I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable describing, saying even some of the words that would be descriptive enough for you to get the picture. Let's just say this: you guys know Mardi Gras. Like, this would make Mardi Gras look like a church picnic, right? Like, there was a lot of just carnal, pagan stuff going on. And it was like a, it was kind of a, hey, whatever goes. Anything goes with whoever, okay? And that's what they would celebrate out in the open, in the public, at the festival. Like, this is what their culture was celebrating. And it was... Depravity. It was evil. It was, it was sick. And so Paul plants this church in Sardis. And Jesus wants to write them a letter to encourage them, to, to correct them, to just kind of remind them of who they were and kind of who they are today. And so let's look at this letter. I want you to look at the first verse. Here's what Jesus says. Now these are Jesus' words to this church. He says this. To John, he says, write this letter to the angels at the church at Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Now, seven is, a, um, is an important number in the Bible. Seven means completeness. It means wholeness. So what Jesus is saying here is, I am, I am writing this letter of the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit, the complete spirit of God. I'm writing this to the church leaders. The seven stars were the elders of the church. And so Jesus is saying, 
I have this authority from which I am writing this letter. He wants to convey to them right off the top that he's the sovereign God. He's working in this church and through the Holy Spirit. He's in control. He's over the leaders of this church and his spirit is at work in them. And so here's what's interesting about all these letters. Is that every one of these letters, up until this one, uh, they have a, a kind of like a good news, bad news. Jesus will write, uh, he'll say to them, all right, here's the good stuff you're doing. Good job with that. But then he'll kind of hit them with the, you know, he'll lay the, lay the hammer down. He'll say, now here's the bad news. Here's what I need to kind of tell you, right? Well, he doesn't do that with Sardis. Later on, you'll see there's a couple of things that he'll say about a small group of people. But, but he goes in hot and heavy, and he just goes to the heart of the matter with the church. Look at what he says next in the, in the next part of this verse. He says, I know all the things you do. Jesus says this in all seven of the letters. He says, I, I know. I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. I know your heart. I know your motivation. I know your intentions. I know you. I'm watching. I'm present. I'm there, right? And so he says, I want you to know that I know all the things that you do. And then he says, I know that you have a reputation for being alive. He says, I know that in the community... In, in the city, that you have a reputation for being a, a good church, at least outwardly. But then look at what he says. But you are dead. He looks at this church, y'all. He looks at this church and he says, I know you think you're doing okay, but you're dead. And then he says, wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. And so Jesus looks at this church at Sardis and he says, you're on life support, right? You need to be resuscitated. You need to be awakened up. You need to be shook. I picture Jesus standing at the bed of this church, right? Shaking it. Wake up. It's almost too late. If you don't wake up, it's going to be too late. The hour is here. And so that's the situation right out of the, the gate that he says in the first couple of verses of this letter. I love this quote from John MacArthur. He says this. He says, A church is dying when there is content to rest on its past laurels. When it's more concerned with liturgical forms and spiritual reality, when it focuses on curing social ills more than changing people's hearts through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's more concerned with material than spiritual things, when it's more concerned with what men think than what God's Word says, when it is more enamored with doctrine or creeds and systems of theology than with the Word of God, or when it loses its conviction that every word of the Bible is the Word of God Himself, that is when... A church dies. And so what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis is that you're dead. You're, you're, you're almost to the point of no return. Most churches, most churches don't die because of, of one specific instance, incident, right? Sometimes it, it can be a church split and like it just kind of ceases to exist. But for the most part, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but every week churches close up. 
There will be churches today, will be there in our country and around the world, there will be churches today that this will be the last Sunday that they will meet as that church at that place, right? It'll just cease to exist because of a variety of reasons. But here's what's interesting, for the most part. Most of the time, that happens, and it's this slow, gradual fade away from God. It's this gradual process that just slowly kind of just fades away, and it dies. You know, you think about our human existence and our bodies, right? For the most part, if we're blessed, we'll live, you know, several decades, 70, 80 years if you're, if you're blessed and you have this healthy life, right? And like you, you can see, you, you've experienced this, you know this, like we, at the minute you're born, you start dying. Like, you know, your body at 50 doesn't feel like it did when it was 20, right? And so you're like, oh, wait, I don't, that's a new pain. That's a new sensation. I don't remember that, you know? And it's like, oh, this, this reminder that, that this slow, gradual thing happens with us physically. And the same thing can happen with the church. And so what Jesus is saying is that you are just gradually, slowly dying, and you're dead. The outward appearance, your reputation, seemed fine. They looked healthy, right? But it didn't line up with their inward reality. Many people would say, maybe to this church at Sardis, well, that's, that's a great church, right? That's a great, that's a great church. That, that church has a great name. They've even got the name Christian in the name of the church. It must be a great church, right? That church is a great church. I love the pastors there. Uh, that, that church has a great worship leader. They have great worship. Right? I love that church. They have great activities, have great programs, great events. That church always seems to be doing something. And to me, it's a great church. That church seems to have it going on. And then Jesus comes along and he says to the church, I know all the things that you do. I know all the things that you don't do. I know the motivation behind what you do and what you choose not to do. And then this is what he says next. He says, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Whoa! Right? Can you imagine Jesus standing before you and saying, you're just not cutting it. You thought you were, but you're just not measuring up. There's something that you need to be about. I have a vision for my church, and you guys just aren't doing it. You you think you are, but you're really not. There was a lot of activity within the church. There were a lot of good deeds. There were a lot of things going on, but they did not fulfill God's purpose, Jesus says. This church had fallen into a routine, right? They'd fallen into a rut, they were kind of just spinning their wheels and going through the motions. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like that at church? Like, we're just kind of going like, oh yeah, this is, yep, this is when we do this, and this is when we say this, and this is when this happens, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And, this, and, like, and so the, they're going through the motions. They were, they were doing things that, 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 that people expected churches to do. But the motivation behind those deeds were wrong in Jesus' eyes. These deeds and these things gave them a great reputation. But Jesus says, but this is an acceptable behavior for the church. In God's sight, Jesus is saying to them, this is not going to cut it. This is not working. This is why you guys are fading away. Because you've gotten off track. I, I love this quote. This is a quote from John Stott. He wrote the book called, What Christ Thinks of the Church. He said this, The distinction between what human beings see and what God sees is of great importance to every age. Although we have responsibilities to others, we are primarily accountable to God. 
It is before Him that we stand and to Him that one day we must give an account. We should not, therefore, weigh human opinions too high, become depressed when criticized, or elated when flattered. We need to remember that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He reads our thoughts, he knows our motives, and he can see how much reality is behind our profession, how much life is behind our facade. How much realness, if that's a word, is behind the mask. And so here's a question. What's your motivation? What is your motivation for why you do what you do? Why do you do this? Is it so others, oh, she, they're such a nice family. He's such a nice guy. They're a good man. And you get, you know, everybody thinks highly of you and you get a, you get a good reputation in the community. It's like, you know what, if I go to that church, probably be good for my business in the community, right? Go to that church, it'll probably be good for my political campaign. If I go to that church, wait, what's your motivation? What's your motivation for for this. And then I think what we should ask as a church is, is what is our motivation? What is the motivation for why we do what we do? And I think we should always continue to ask ourselves, why are we doing things that way? You know, like, is it, is it something that's like, like biblically mandated? Okay, if it is, let's keep doing that. But if it's not, let's, like, why are we doing that? What's the motivation behind doing that? Are we doing that because we want to pat on the back? We want to look a certain way to certain people, right? What is it? Is it for him or is it to bring him glory or is it to bring ourselves glory? And I think every day we should ask the question, so search, search our hearts and say, search my heart, Lord. Show me if my attitude is wrong, if my motives are not your motives. And Jesus is saying to this church at Sardis, he's saying, you guys are all out of whack. You're all off track. You're, you're, you've messed this whole thing up because you've just gradually walked away from me. Look at the next part in verse 3, Revelation 3. He says, go back. Go back to what you have heard and and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Jesus says you need to get back to those things that that, that in the very beginning brought you to me. That brought you to, to a relationship with me. Get back to the basics. Get back to those foundational things that really, really matter. In the church. Those are the things you need to hold on to those things. There's some other things that you can let go of and let go of the things you need to let go of. But there are certain things that you need to really hold on to. And I want to show you just a few things that are foundational, that are basic principles that we need to get back to, that we need to hold on to. Basic doesn't mean superficial. Basic basic doesn't mean easy. Basic doesn't mean surface level. Basic doesn't mean the opposite of spiritually deep. Basic is just the idea that there are a few things about Jesus that are undeniably true. And let's see if we can all agree on on a few of the basics. I just came up with a list this week when I was thinking about this. The first basic is Jesus is God. Amen? Is that a good one? All right, Jesus is God. Basic, if you read the New Testament, it doesn't take you long to figure out, yep, that dude's God. All right, second one. Jesus was sent to earth by God the Father, right? This understanding of of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this Trinity, this understanding of like what that is, right? And that that Jesus is all a part of this process. God sent him to the earth. The next one. Jesus was crucified on a cross because of our sins. They killed an innocent man, a holy man, a blameless man, the Son of God. He died on a cross, not because of anything he'd done, but because of our sins. Foundational 
to the New Testament. Next one. Jesus was placed in a tomb and walked out of said tomb on the third day. Amen? Right? You've heard, like, if, you, if you've never come other than like, like on Easter, you've heard that, right? Jesus walked out of a tomb. He defeated death. A basic, fundamental principle. Jesus gave us marching orders and His Holy Spirit before He went back to be with the Father. Jesus said, I'm going to go back. I've defeated death. You are my disciples. You now believe. You've seen. You've seen the resurrected Christ. I'm going to go back to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you here alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to be in you, Right? What God promises us is that what you just experienced a few minutes ago with, with, with Waylon is that now he has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it, like God is walking, he, he is inside of him. He has said, God, I give you my life. You lead me. You send your spirit. And that's, that's what he promised us. The next one. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. I know, and I said, tell your friends to wake up, right? I know that, that our world will say, well, there's all kinds of different ways to get whatever. There's only one way. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus. And so what you need to tell everyone that you care about is they need to wake up. They need to understand that there's only one way. There's only one way that we get out of this alive. And his name's Jesus. And so we need to get back to the basics. What's the next one? Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church. Jesus makes a promise. I'm going to go and I prepare a place for you, but I am coming back. I'm coming back for you. Amen? How many of you are praying that he would just come like today? Can we, just be, can we just be done with all this? Like just come today. And the rest of you are like, I'm not so sure. Well, then you need to probably get some things in order. Because the rest of us are rooting against you. Because we want him to come back. And then the last one. Jesus told us to get ready and to stay ready for his return. To get ready and to stay ready. To stay alert. He also said... If there's anybody you care about, if there's anybody that you love, if there's anybody that you are in a relationship with that you know that is far from God, you need to live a life that's holy and blameless before them. And you need to go to them and you need to share with them the gospel, the good news, that Jesus loves them and that he died for them and that he wants to come back for them as well. And they should be a part of the bride like we are a part of the bride, right? And so here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready? And what do you need to do today, church, to get ready? What Jesus is looking at this church in Sardis and saying, you guys, you know all the, you know it all, right? You've got all the facts. But you've fallen away. You, you've slid backwards. And Jesus says you need to get back to the basics. And then this is what he says next. He says, Repent. Repent and turn to me again. Turn back to me, Jesus says. You guys know what it means to repent, right? Repent means like you're going in one direction. You're going down this path. You're on this highway. Let's just call, like you're going down a highway to hell. Somebody should write a song about that, right? You're on this highway to hell. And you're just living, you're just living it up. And, and, and something happens, someone comes along, you, you, and you realize, oh, this is the wrong way. I need to turn around and 180 degrees, and I need to go that way. 
Because this way leads to death. That's what repentance means. Repentance means to turn and to go the other way. And what Jesus is telling this church is that you guys need to turn. Even though you're the church, you've messed this up. You need to repent and you need to go the other way. What is it that that we need to repent of today, that you maybe need to repent of this morning before you leave this place? When the Holy Spirit is grieved or quenched in a believer or in a church, then that church begins to lose life and it begins to die. But when we confess our sins, when we get it right with one another, and we get it right with God, then the Spirit infuses life and there is a revival and there's renewal. And Jesus is warning this church. He's saying they need to confess, they need to repent, they need to turn to Him and go in the opposite direction. And look at what He says next. If you don't wake up, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpectedly as a thief. And he's saying again, wake up. And if you don't wake up, here's what's going to happen. He's saying that he's going to come and to judge them. He, he says, I'm going to come and discipline you. It's going to catch you off guard. It's going to catch you by surprise if you don't wake up. And so the first three verses of Revelation 3.3 3 are a big flashing warning sign. Right? That says, Stop. You're going in the wrong direction. Turn around and go the other way. A couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I was coming down Main Street, heading this way, right, uh, to the office one morning. And I look up, and there's a guy right about the, the, the Shelbyville Theater. He had turned, and he turned right, uh, and he was heading toward me on Main Street. Now, you guys know that like, that's, you can't go that way. All right? That's, no, I can't do that. And I look up and I'm like, what is this guy doing, right? And he looked a little confused. He looked like he maybe just woken up. Maybe he was late for work. I don't know. But he, and, and so like I stop, right? And there's a bunch of cars behind me. We all just got released from a red light. We're kind of coming down through there. And I was the first one. And I stop. I honk my horn and I stick my arm out the window and I'm waving my arm up and down. And he finally, he like realizes what he'd done. And he takes a, you know, kind of just good darts off to one of the side roads there. And, and I thought, man, that could have been... Like, that could have been really bad, right? Like, that could have been horrible, this head-on collision. And, I, and I'm waving my hands. I'm honking my horn. Amen. But danger, you're going the wrong way. Amen. So, who do, you, who, do you need to, who do you need to talk to? Is this for you? Is this for someone else? We, we need to have... These conversations, right? We've sinned and we fall short. And if we don't repent of those sins, the Bible says that we're, we're going in the wrong direction. And, and that place ends in hell. And so Jesus gives them this warning. Now the next three verses, there's some encouragement. There's this small little group. There's this small little remnant of people that are there. And Jesus says, I know, I know who you are too. And I see you. And I'm watching, and I want to encourage you. And so here's what he says, verse 4. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Right? He says there's a, there's a group that have held up. You guys have, you've held up. The word soiled there is this Greek word which, which means to stain or to defile or to smear or to pollute, right? And, and so he's saying that this garment characterizes your, your, you know, who you are. And he says, you have held up under this. You have not been polluted. Your character hasn't been stained. They were spiritually alive, but there was only a few of them in the, in the church. It was a small minority. And we don't know if it was three or 30 or 300, but Jesus says, I know you're there. 
I know you're small in number. And I know this has been really hard. I know this has been really hard because you're looking around at your city. You're looking around at culture. You're looking around like what everyone else is involved in. And they just seem to be having a grand old time. Right? And here you are trying to follow Jesus and trying to do things a different way and trying to live in a different way. And I know it's made you be ostracized in your community. And I know you've lost friends and I know you've lost relationships. And I know people look at you and shun you. And like, but here you are and you've held up underneath this. I want you to be encouraged, Jesus says. And he says this next in verse, the verse of verse four, part of verse five. He says, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. Now here's what's interesting. Here's, here's what, he's, what Jesus is saying here. In, in Sardis, when someone, a worshiper, would go worship the goddess Artemis, one of the requirements at the temple was that they had to, had to have these pure white robes. They had to be cleaned. They had to be pure without any stain or blemish. Couldn't be soiled in any way. And this was their approach to the temple. And so people knew that they were going to the temple to worship. And so this was kind of part of their practice. And what Jesus is saying here is that you guys that are with me, you're going to walk in, in, in white. You're going to walk in these white robes, but you're, going, you're not going to be with them. You're going to be with me. Back in verse 2, Jesus said, Strengthen what little remains. He's talking about this small group in the church. And he's telling them that there's this flame, this, this flicker. Have you ever, have you ever uh, looked at a, a campfire and it's almost out, but the embers are still kind of there burning and it's kind of glowing and it's underneath you. And you say, it's not all the way out, but it's almost out. And what Jesus is saying, this is who you are, this little group. And let's fan those flames. Let's try to fan the flames here and let's wake up and let's realize what's at stake. And so that's what he says to them. And then the, the next verse, in verse 5, he says this, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father Father and His angels that they are mine. Here's what's interesting here. Every city in the first century, what they would do, the big cities, they would have a, a register, a registry of who was born. So a baby was born, they put their name in a book. And it meant, all right, your name's in this book. You are a citizen of Sardis now. And so you were, that was, your name was in the book. If you uh, got arrested, put in prison, put in jail, did something horribly you know, wrong against, against the community, you got convicted of a crime or whatever, they would erase your name from the registry. And when you died, your name was erased from the registry. Like you didn't even exist, right? And what Jesus says to this group, he says, I'm never going to treat you the way that your government treats you. I'm not going to erase your name from my book. Jesus' promise was clear to this group because they'd showed faithfulness to him in this incredible, under the incredible pressure to turn away. He will stand with them on the day of judgment before God. And so what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be a day where you're going to stand, and guess what? I'll stand right next to you. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to look at Dad. I'm going to look at the Father. And oh, Dad, this one, I've known him for a long time. He's my friend. He gets in. They're, they're, he's going to look over and go, she's, God, Dad, she's been walking with me for years. I, I know her name. She's a friend of mine. She gets in. 
Jesus says, because you have not forsaken me in the midst of whatever it is you're going through to this church, to this small remnant, I am not going to forget you. I will remember you on that day. You are mine. You belong to me. I will announce before my Father and His angels that you are mine. And look look at how he finishes this letter. Verse 6. He says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. And so what's He saying? What's He saying to the churches? Here's what He's saying. Number one. I just came up with a list of like five things. The first thing is don't be a fake church. Right? You, you can smell fake. You can tell when a person's fake, right? You can smell it from a mile away. Like when you're, you meet somebody, you're like, I don't know. That seems, something seems, like it doesn't seem like it's really jabbing, right? People can smell a, a fake church from miles and miles away. And so let's not be, let's not put up facade. Let's not put up on mass. Let's be who God's called us to be. Let's not be a, a fake church. The second thing is we need to wake up and do what he commanded us to do. Wake up. I've given you commandments. I've given you your marching orders. I've told you what you should be as the church. Now just go and do it. Do you guys ever have these kind of conversations with your kids? Like, we have these with our boys all the time. It's like, we'll ask them to do something. We'll tell them to do something. And they want to have a 10, 15 minute like discussion about it. And like why they don't want to do it or whatever. And it's like, most of the time I'm like, dude... You could have done it three times in the past 10, 15 minutes of complaining about why you have to do this, right? Just go do it, and then let's move on to something else. Anybody else have conversations like that? It's like, dude, just do it. Just do what I told you to do, right? And Jesus comes to us, and he says, you say you love me. You say you're following me. You say you want to be one of my disciples. Then just do what I've asked you to do. Do what I've told you to do. Let's be a church that does that. And then here's number four. Repent of your sins. Or sorry, get back to the basics. That's number three. Get back to the basics. I, I list those basics, right? Those basic things. Let's get back to those things. Let's remember those things. Let's let those things be the foundational principles on which we build our lives and our church. And then the fourth one. Repent of your sins. What is it today? Before you leave today, that we leave today, you say, God, I need, to, I need to confess this. I need to pray about this. I need to give this over to you. This is something that I'm involved in. This is something that I'm struggling with. This is a, a blind spot for me. Dave talked about those blind spots. Like, this is something that I, like, and so God's using the Holy Spirit. He's going to use someone else. He's going to say, hey, you need to wake up. You need to repent. You're going the wrong way. It's going to lead to hell. You don't want to go there. You want to stand with me on the day of judgment, and you want to go where I'm going, back to the Father. And so we need to repent. I don't, I don't think God will, will I think he, 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 he was almost, Jesus was almost ready to just turn this, this church over and say, all right, he was just turn them over to Satan because he couldn't do any more with them. But he said, I'm going to write this letter. I'm going to try to shake them up. I'm going to stun them. I'm going to try to wake them up, right? Sometimes I think God gets to that place with the church and he says, I'm just going to turn them over to the devil because they're not doing what I've called them to do. Right? And so we need to repent today. And then the fifth thing is this. We need to have a burning passion for lost people. We need to have an urgency for people who do not know Jesus like you guys do. You, you, I'm sure, are so thankful that somebody came into your life 
and share Jesus with you. You wouldn't be here today, right? God used somebody in your life to radically change you. And so what he's called us to do is to be those same kind of people. To have a burning passion and urgency for other people that don't know him, that aren't here today. Look around. There are a few empty seats. These seats could be filled today with someone who today just decided to sleep in. Right? They couldn't have cared less about anything we're talking about, singing about, praying about. But if they get in a car this afternoon or this evening and they have a head-on collision and they cease to walk amongst us anymore, where are they going? That, that's not for me to decide, but I don't know. And so what's our urgency? It's to say, God, you use us, you use me, you use this church. Every opportunity we have to share that love with other people. Here, I'll close with this. The, the church in Sardis... They were... Sorry, guys. I don't know what's going on. I'm so sorry. It's like popcorn up here popping in my pocket. Um, the church... I'll just try to say really still. The church at Sardis was worried about people from the outside. And then they got to a place where they were complacent. And they didn't have to worry about that anymore. You know what really hurt the church, the city of Sardis? It was an earthquake. In A.D. 17, an earthquake hit the city and almost destroyed the city. Almost caused them to to go under. Um, But they survived. They never really got back to where where they were before that. But you think about that earthquake. Where did that earthquake come from? It came from within. It came from right underneath their feet. Right? That's what attacked them. That's what hurt them. That's what almost destroyed their foundation. Here's what's interesting about the church. There, you know, the, the church at Smyrna, it was a, attacked from the outside, and they had a real threat of being persecuted. The church at Sardis really didn't have that, but what, what happened with them is that they were being attacked from within. They were causing their own death. Here's two words that will kill a church. Two words that will kill a church. Complacency and apathy. All right, here's what complacency says. Complacency says, we're good. We're okay. This is comfortable. My kids like it. I like it. The worship leader seems like a cool guy. I like it. We'll stay there. Let's just do our thing. We'll get in a routine. We get in a rut. We just kind of go about Sunday and we check it off the list. It's complacency. You know what apathy is in a church? Here's what apathy is. Apathy is saying, you know what? I know that there are people. I have them in my life. I have friends. I have people that I work with that don't know the Lord. And that if they were to die today, I don't know where their eternity rests. And you're just like, you know what? Oh, well. To hell with them. I'm not trying to be coarse, but like, that's what we say. When it's like, oh well, to hell with them. I don't really care. I got my stuff. I know where I'm going. And Jesus comes to this church and he says, You're dying. You're dying from the inside out. I don't know if you've ever stood at the bed 
side of someone who was dying and just watch the life leave their body. But I have. Recently. And it's this realization that a life is over. At least the one on this earth. Right? And they cease to exist in this in earthly form anymore. And they're dead. It's sad. There's all kinds of emotions, right? When you, you may have stood there. I've stood there in several different. I've been in nursing homes and funeral homes and watched someone take their last breath. Life's over. And what Jesus was saying to this church is, you guys, I'm standing here watching you die. I'm watching the color fade out of your face. I'm watching your body turn cold. And you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to realize that there is an enemy that wants to destroy you and send you to hell. And you need to wake up. And he says, what kind of a church do you want to be? Here's the good thing about all this. It's up to us. Yeah, it's up to us. What's up to us? What's up to us is we get to decide what kind of a church we want to be. We get to decide what kind of a place we want to be. Is this just about us? Or is this, just, or is this about people who don't know Him yet? And if they die today, man, what a tragedy that would be. It's up to us. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place to share in communion to pray, to sing see Wayland get baptized God what, a, what an incredible celebration this is all a, a reminder, this is all a, a, for you about how much you love us and who you are and what you've already done for us and for our church and that you're coming back for us your bride God, my prayer today would be that if there's a person in this room that doesn't know you yet as their Lord and Savior, that you would you would not allow them, that your Holy Spirit would, would continue to work and convict and move inside of them. They wouldn't leave this place today without understanding how much you love them, what you did for them through your son Jesus. That's what this is all about. You do that today. For the rest of us, God, would you would you use your Holy Spirit to to prod us, to convict us, to break our hearts, to open our eyes, to wake us up, to show us where it is we need to repent, where we need to turn and go back to you. Would you convict our hearts of that today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys, we're going to sing this song. If you want to make a decision, you want to pray with someone, you want to talk to someone, there's a decision room right over here to my right.
worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. And you are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. Stop working. You never stop. You never stop. 